Lord, I have been, I've enjoyed very much studying James. Uh, Father, I, we titled this thing Practical Wisdom for Godly Living, and, and Lord, that's, uh, I need all that. I need practical wisdom for godly living, and it's, uh, Lord, I know it's taught me more than it's taught anybody else because I've had the privilege of studying these scriptures in depth. Um, but Father, I, I hope that our folks have gotten something out of it that they can use, that they can apply, and Lord, I pray that you would continue to teach us. And, uh, and Lord, today I pray that you would teach us. Father, we need, uh, we need truth. We don't need just entertainment. We need truth. We need the kind of truth that changes who we are. Lord, we want to be more and more like your son. So Father, through the preaching today, I ask you to accomplish that for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let me read our passage to us one more time. James five thirteen through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The first thing that I want us to learn here from our scripture passage is to live quorum Deo. Now that doesn't help us if we don't know what that means. But this is a term that I believe it would benefit us to learn. It would benefit us to incorporate into our vocabulary and into our life. Quorum Deo is a Latin phrase translated in the presence of God. From Christian theology, which summarizes the idea of Christians living in the presence of and under the authority of and to the honor and glory of God. So basically, if you talk about quorum Deo, what that means is you're living in front of God all the time. You're living before the face of God. And so when we get to our application part of our sermon, I want us to consider how we're going to live in the presence of and before the face of God. You know, the Bible tells us to pray continually. Well, um, I'm not praying right now, I'm preaching, right? <laughs> so we don't really, really pray continually. But I think what the heart of that is getting to is live before the face of God. Live with an awareness of the presence of God at all times. We can see this reflected in James 5.13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So whatever circumstance you find yourself in, live with an awareness of the presence of God and live in communication with God, whether things are going well or whether things are going poorly. Our next point is live without unconfessed unrepented of sin now we're going to dwell on this one for a few minutes 
You can't, all right, here's my line I worked on all week. So somebody say amen. You can't live perfectly, but you can live perfectly forgiven. All right, thank you. So we can't live perfectly. That's beyond us. But we can live in unbroken fellowship with God because we can live perfectly forgiven at all times. James 14 through 16 reads, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. All right, this is a very important passage for us to understand. So let's take it one one bite at a time. Verse 14 says, is anyone among you sick? Well, a lot of us are sick in here today, aren't we? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now let me ask you, who is it that's supposed to call? The initial request is an act of faith by the person who is sick. It says, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church. So that first step of obedience and that first act of faith is calling on the elders and asking them to come and to anoint you with oil and to pray for you. Now, I want us to understand everything about this passage because uh, anytime there's a blanket kind of promise like this, it leads to the possibility of confusion. So let's look at this in depth. All right, who are the elders? Those are mature believers who are responsible for the leadership of the church. More specifically, let's turn to 1 Timothy 3 for a thorough description of who exactly the elders are. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 reads this way. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now, the, the qualifications for deacon are very similar. You'll notice that the qualification for elder, though, includes able to teach, and that's one of the differences. Not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So, who is it we're supposed to call? The sick person is instructed to call upon the elders of the church and ask them to come and pray for him and to anoint him with oil. Now, let's ask, what is this business about oil? Uh, One thing, it was medicinal back in that time. We can see an example of this from the Good Samaritan story that, that the Lord Jesus tells. In Luke ten thirty four. this is in reference to uh, the Good Samaritan and his treatment of the injured fellow. He says, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So the good Samaritan wasn't doing some anointing ritual, right? He was putting that oil and wine on this guy in order to cleanse the wounds and to to heal him a little bit before he took him on his way. So we see that it had medicinal properties. But also, oil was used many times when kings or prophets or priests were anointed with oil to set them apart for special use to God. So this oil may be representative of God's spirit and favor as you pray for that one who is sick. So that brings us to the practical question of should we do that? Um, Let me answer it this way. If I'm going to err, I want to err on the side of obedience and not on the, the side of disobedience. If someday I stand before God and he says, well, Steve, I was... That oil thing was just a medicinal thing. Um, You didn't have to actually do that. Okay, that's fine. But I don't want to stand before him one day and him say, I told you to anoint with oil and you didn't listen. (laughs) Right? So if I'm going to err one way or the other, I want it to be on the side of obedience. James 5.15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So the oil is interesting and and something we should study. But let's keep straight who is doing the healing and why the healing is happening, okay? Who will raise him up? This verse says the Lord will raise him up. Not the elder, not the oil. The Lord will raise him up. The words here are prayer, faith, and sin, okay? Prayer, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Now, it's not actually the prayer, right? It's the person to whom we are praying. But it says the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And then faith, it says faith. What is faith? We talked about it last week. Faith is believing God, right? It's not positive thinking. A lot of people, a lot of Christians, uh, as a matter of fact, a pastor I used to work with, thought that faith was positive thinking. Faith was telling God what you wanted, and then really, really, really believing that he'd give it to you. That's not faith. That's you trying to talk God into something and then believing that you've succeeded. (laughs) Okay, I have never once changed uh, God's eternal will. You know, that's not what, what faith is about. Faith is about hearing from God and then believing exactly what it is he said. And then it talks about sin in this verse. Now, ultimately, all sickness is the result of sin. Because had we not fallen in the Garden of Eden, there would be no sickness. There would be no death. There would be none of the bad things that we find out happen as we get older. I was reading on Facebook the other day, and it said, my injuries as a child were wrecking my bike, falling out of a tree, and things like that. My injuries as an older adult are, you know, sleeping wrong and... (laughs) And walking and things like that. Okay, so we realize that that the curse has made us all uh, deteriorating, right? We know that sickness comes as we age. We know that sickness happens. And that is ultimately a result of sin because of our fallen world. But the question is, is is your particular sickness that you're enduring right now, if you are sick, is that a result of your sin? Well, the answer is maybe, 
It depends. Let's look in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 32, and we can see an example where the sickness of these people was indeed caused by their sin. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Okay? So there is a judgment that can come from sin that causes sickness. Verse 31 says, But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So you know the Bible says, Whom the Lord loves, He chastens, right? So sometimes we can get into sin and we can get into a kind of sin that the Lord needs to get our attention. And he can get our attention by bringing us physical ailment. So is your sickness caused by your sin? Well, maybe. So let's consider that possibility. And let's pray about that possibility. What I mean is, do you think any believer has ever suffered through the chastisement of God and gone to God and said, Lord, I want to know, is there any unconfessed, unrepented of sin in my life? And God said, no, I'm not going to tell him. I'm just going to let him, let him writhe there in pain. No, he's going to tell you. If, if you ask the Lord, is there any unconfessed, unrepented of sin in my life that is bringing judgment on me? The Holy Spirit will tell you. Okay, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to suffer with a chronic illness and go, is this God's judgment? Pray, think, ask the Lord, is there any unconfessed, unrepented of sin? If there is not, then you can be confident that that sickness is not caused by your personal sin but if it is may i suggest that you eliminate that problem by confession and repentance is your sickness necessarily caused by your sin absolutely not uh sickness is caused by viruses right (laughs) we know this now i don't think james knew this But we know this, sickness is caused by viruses, it's caused by bacteria, it's caused by autoimmune problems that we have, it's caused by diabetes, it's caused by, you can basically pick any organ of the body and say heart or lung or liver or any other organ and then put disease afterward, right? And that is a condition of of fallen humanity. So there are so many things that can bring about illness, and we know that. For example, epilepsy. Um... You know, there are are passages of Scripture that teach that this epilepsy of these people who are suffering was caused by demonic oppression in the Bible. So you know what? I believe that epilepsy can be caused by demonic oppression because I read it in the Bible. But you know what else I I know? And that is that I'm pretty sure that demons aren't allergic to Keppra, right? (laughs) So when my daughter goes and gets medicine for a physical condition that she has, and that physical condition uh, is relieved by that medication, uh, you know, I don't think that's demonic oppression because, again, it's, it's crazy to think that, well, these demons wanted to have their way here, but they're allergic to this medicine we're taking. So what I want us to be able to do is when we think about sickness, think like a modern, educated, rational American and believe the Bible. 
You can do both with zero problem. So we know that sometimes things out of our control cause sickness. We know from Scripture that sometimes disobedience to the Lord and living in rebellion can cause sickness as well. Now, how do I know that it's not always the judgment of God? Well, from practical experience, but also from Scripture. John 9, 1 through 3 tells a story of Jesus and his disciples. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. This is Jesus that passed by. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man that sinned, nor his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. So his disciples were thinking, well, a bad thing happened to this guy, so it must be the judgment of God. And so they didn't say, is he sick because, or is he blind because someone sinned? They assumed that he was. And they said, is he blind because he sinned or his parents sinned? And Jesus said, no, none of the above. He's blind so that you would be able to see the work of God manifest here. So back in James verse 16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now if there is sin that caused your illness, you don't have to live with it. You don't have to keep it. You can confess it and repent of it. Now that brings up an interesting and very practical question. To whom do you need to confess? Do you need to come and confess to the pastor? No, you don't. Here's, here's, the, here's the rule of thumb that I find to be biblically consistent. And that is that when we sin, we need to confess however widely our sin is known. If we sin against God and nobody else knows about it, I think it is perfectly appropriate to go and repent before God. If you sin against your spouse, go and repent to God and repent to your spouse. If you're in some kind of big, well-known sin that the whole church knows about, repent to God and then come and make it known to the church. So however widely your sin is known and however widely it affects people, that's how widely I believe we should repent. And so when he says, confess your sins to one another, I don't think we just need to get together uh, on, a, on a Sunday night if you're in a small group as you go around the room talking about every sin that we've committed that week. I don't think that would be beneficial. might even be discouraging. <laughs> but however widely your sin is known, make confession and repentance that widely. Now let me ask you this. Does everyone who follows this prescription of being sick, calling for the elders, having the elders come, pray for them, and anoint them with oil, do all those people get well? Well, the answer is no. Um, We see in Scripture that those people who were contemporaries of James, the Apostle Paul himself, as a matter of fact, were trying to heal people, and it wasn't always successful. Look with me. Uh, In Philippians 2.27, we see that Epaphroditus was ill, And Paul is writing this, and he said, Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Epaphroditus was healed, but he was sick. He was really sick, sick unto death, okay? And had Paul been able to heal him, don't you think he would have healed him? Of course he would have. In 2 Timothy 4.20, we see Trophimus here. He says, Erastus remained at Corinth, and I, and this is Paul again, I left Trophimus, 
who was ill at Miletus. So Paul left this guy who was really sick. Now, why, why would Paul do that, right? If Paul could heal him, he would have healed him. He wouldn't have left him there sick. But you know what? You might could say, well, maybe uh, Epaphroditus and, and uh, Trophimus didn't have enough faith. That's what I hear sometimes on TV. I'll hear these TV preachers say, well, if you had enough faith, you'd get well. Well, first of all, James is telling us to get the elders to pray for you. And uh, so it seems to me that that would make Paul didn't have enough faith. And I don't think that's the case. But in case it is based on the faith of the individual, look with me at this scripture. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, Paul writes, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Here we go. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So Paul is asking three different times for the Lord to heal him from this physical condition. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So is it a faulty faith? that keeps people in a chronic illness? Apparently not, because if Paul had a faulty faith, then none of the rest of us have a chance, do we? So it's not a faulty faith that causes that. So let me ask you, why doesn't everyone who is sick follow these instructions and get well? Well, I personally believe that James is talking here at least partially and maybe mostly about sickness that has been caused by personal unrepented of sin in verse 16 the verbs are confess pray and be healed all right verse 16 says confess pray and be healed so i believe the illness that he's talking about has to do with your need for confessing and repenting then it says the prayer of a righteous person now in one sense i am only righteous because of christ we sang a hymn earlier that said, uh, what did it say about my, this my pardon, uh, only the blood of Jesus? Then it said something about my righteousness. The only righteousness that I have is by the blood of Jesus. We sang that earlier. And that's true. The only righteousness I can claim is that that was given to me by the Lord Jesus through faith. But, if you'll recall, I told you a few weeks ago, that God is too, too wise to give his authority and his power to rebels. Wouldn't you agree? And so the opposite of that is, if you are his servant and you are faithfully living for him, then you will be the kind of person that he will be glad to work through. So, a righteous person? Well, I can only claim righteousness through Christ. But at the same time, if I live submitted to God, if I live in fellowship with him, then I'm going to be one of the kind of people that God is pleased to work through as opposed to someone who is living in rebellion. If you want answers to your prayers, let me just tell you, don't be a rebel. All right, our next point is live prayerfully. James five seventeen through 18 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was an awesome guy, but he was just a guy. He was just a man made of the same stuff that you and I are. It's not the person doing the praying. 
It's the one to whom you pray that makes all the difference in the world. Like I mentioned earlier, we can put up obstacles. We can put up obstacles and give God reasons to not answer our prayers. But if we can minimize that, then we can pray and see God do great things in and through us and in and through our church collectively. Our last point here is live for the glory of God and the good of the church. <clears throat> James five nineteen and 20 says this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. I told you earlier that I knew that Katie was reading through the Bible on our read through the Bible plan because we are in small group together. How are you going to know if someone in the church wanders from the truth? Well, James assumed that brothers and sisters would live in fellowship and live in community and be aware of each other's business. If you are not in a small group, let me tell you, you are missing out. There aren't supposed to be any Lone Ranger Christians. The Bible, that is foreign to the Bible. I used to uh, talk to a guy who I think was a believer, but he had been burned badly in a church experience, and so he didn't go to church. And I would ask him, um, you know, can we go to lunch and, ha- and just sit down and look in the New Testament at what it says about how we should relate to one another? And let me show you from the Scripture that we are supposed to live in community and worship together. And he said, no. Basically, he was like, I don't want to, you know, don't confuse me with the facts, right? He didn't want to know because he didn't want to go to church. And so I told that brother, I said, the, the concept of a Lone Ranger Christian who is not in fellowship with the rest of the believers is just foreign to the New Testament. It says that we're to gather together and to worship together. And, you know, Acts talks about how they met in houses and had fellowship together and ate together. So we're meant to live in community using our gifts given by the Holy Spirit for the benefit of our brothers and sisters. So let me repeat, if you're not in a small group, you're missing out, but so are we. We're missing out because you're not there, because the Lord has gifted you, spiritually gifted you, so that you could be a benefit to the brothers and sisters. And if you come in here on Sunday morning and sit and listen to the word, that's great. The Bible tells us we need to do that. But you don't have an opportunity to use your spiritual gifts in here on Sunday morning. So if we get in fellowship with one another, if we get in these small groups, then we all have the ability to use our giftedness to bless the people of God. God puts you in the body to be served, absolutely, but he also puts you in the body to serve the body. You can do both of those things in the context of a small group. Now, if you know a brother who is in sin, love him enough to lovingly call him to repentance. Um, Southern Baptists used to do a great deal of what they call church discipline. Um, If someone was in sin, they would go to that brother, just like Matthew 18 says, and they would say, brother, I see that you're in this sin and and you need to repent. I'm not better than you. I understand. I could fall into this sin too. I'm going to need help when I do. But right now, you need to realize what you're doing. You need to turn around. You need to come back to fellowship. 
Then Matthew 18 says, if they don't listen, you take two or three others and you go to them and you make that appeal again. And then if they don't listen, you bring it to the church. And the church calls on the guy to repent. And then if after every possible venue has been uh, explored, then you disfellowship that person if they refuse to repent. Now, Southern Baptists used to do that, and Southern Baptists were growing like crazy when they took church discipline seriously. We have abandoned church discipline, and now, as a denomination, we are not keeping pace with the growth of the population. I think there is a very direct correlation there. If we took the holiness of the church seriously, I believe it would be a lot more attractive. I I believe it would be not attractive to lost people, but attractive to people who are serious about the faith. So if you see a person, a, a brother, a sister, somebody you love and care about who is part of our fellowship drifting off into sin, it is our responsibility to go to them lovingly and bring them back. Now the point of church discipline is not shaming people or getting rid of people. The point is to call them to repentance, right? So if you love them, do that for them. All right, so on to our what do we do part of the sermon where we try to apply what we've looked at. First thing is pray in every circumstance of life. There are going to be good times, there are going to be bad times, there are going to be well times, there are going to be sickness, there's going to be disease. Eventually, if you live long enough, I just found out the other day, there's a new study that says 10 out of 10 people die. Did y'all know that? (laughs) So eventually, you're going to die, and that's not pleasant, but we wind down, we get unhealthy. So when when do we talk to God? When do we pray? We pray when we're healthy, when we're sick, when we're suffering, when we're joyful. We live quorum Deo. Stick that in your vocabulary before the face of God all the time. The next thing is to keep a very short list of wrongs with God. There is no reason to suffer physically or to suffer spiritually or to suffer mentally. There's no reason to suffer because of the chastisement of God. God loves you and he won't let you live in flagrant unrepentant sin because he loves you. I have children that I love more than my own life. I would die for them. I'm not going to let them live in flagrant, unrepentant sin, right? Why? Because I love them, because I care, and God cares about us, and he's not going to let us live that way. So if you don't want the judgment of God to come on you as a believer, keep a very short list of wrongs with God. As soon as he tells you, hey, this is wrong, you are stepping out of line, repent, get back into line. Now, we're all going to step out of line. That's a fact of our fallen condition, but we don't have to stay there. Staying there is is bad for your health. All right, the next thing, I kind of cheated, I guess, because this is sort of universal, but it's what James tells us. Love God and love people. If we love God, we're going to serve him. We're going to serve him in the church. We're going to be here. We're going to support his work. And the other thing is to love people. So if we see folks straying from the truth, we're going to go to them in love and try to bring them back. If we see neighbors up and down these streets who don't know the gospel and who are dying and going to face eternity without God and go to hell, we have to love them enough to go and share the gospel with them. So I have enjoyed studying James very much, and I hope you have enjoyed it as well. But the summary of all this is we can be found faultless if we are in Christ. So let me tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have sinned. And as a result of that sin, God in his holiness and his purity 
cannot accept us as sinful, rebellious people. It wouldn't be right. It would be like a judge taking a murderer who was caught red-handed and saying, you know, you seem like a nice dude. I'll let you go. That wouldn't be just, would it? That'd be terrible. God can't forgive sin just by blowing it off. So what he did is he solved that, pers- he solved that problem in the person of Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus Christ here, who we celebrated his birth just the other day. He lived a perfect, holy, righteous life, no sin, fulfilled the law in every way, pleased the Father at all times and in every way. And then he died on the cross in my place and offered me forgiveness. What the offer of Scripture is, what the offer of the gospel is, is that God will trade your sin for Christ's righteousness. He will take your sin and put it on the account of Jesus who paid for it on the cross. And he'll take Christ's righteousness and put it on your account. Now if you say that sounds too good to be true, it does. It sounds so good. (laughs) But I've been studying this for years and years and years. And the more I study it, the more I believe it. And the more joy it brings me. So let me tell you, at the end of 2018, if you are not 100% sure that if you don't see 2019, that you would go and be in the presence of God and spend eternity with him. If you don't know that for certain, come and talk to me before you leave because you can settle that today. Jimmy, what are we going to sing, brother? Without him is what we're going to sing. So let's stand. And let me tell you why people come up to the front. They come up to the front because they say, I don't know that I know that I'm positive that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. And I want to make sure. I want to settle that. If that's you, come down and talk to me. Another reason is they say, hey, I want to join this church. I want to be in fellowship with these people. Come and we can, we can talk about that. And the other thing is if you have a prayer concern that you want me to pray for you about, I would be happy to pray with you about any prayer concern that you have. So if any of those three categories are you, then please feel free to come down.